Are we separate? Are moments separate? These are imposed constructs. They do not hold experiential reality. We have this veil that's placed over us. We've extended this assumption of separation over various areas of human life, all the way from believing that we are an individual thing with autonomy moving through the world to the paradigms which we live in, which are all controlled by these ideas of separation. You're taking diversity to be the final nature of your existence. You're believing something about reality that's just a belief. So what we really want to do is test our experience. Do you actually experience any separation? Sense into the reality of what you're going through. Go deeper, feel the rawness, the intensity, the vibration, and just see what happens. Mind can only be framed in these ideas. Don't know, anything knowing intellectually is not it. But we can't deny this multiplicity that the one has chosen to manifest as. We're not saying deny the constructs. We need them to function as humans in society. Just question their validity, that's all. See it below that illusion and look for the consistent element, the thing that does not change. Tune into that thing that never goes away. You tune into the unity and you stay there. Then you begin to see that reality was never a puzzle of pieces that you could just, you know, shuffle around. It's one consistent wholeness on which all of this transient stuff take place. There's nothing actually breaking up experience that's just in concept only. Experience is just shape-shifting. But the reality of it is that there's no separation here, despite what the experience is manifesting as. The limitation you impose is waiting to be set free. You're listening to the Non-Duality Podcast. This is Nick Hyam from nisagayoga.com. Joining me for this episode is Colette Davy, whose Instagram handle is that beyond duality. So it seems as if life experience gets split and one portion is set against another, is compared with another, is contrasted with another. Maybe we identify with one segment of life that we've split off and try to avoid another piece because we fear it. We grasp for one part of life because we desire it, because we believe it will complete us, because we believe ourselves to be deficient, because we ourselves are separate. We are individuals, not connected, not at one, not non-dual apparently. And we're in this mostly alien expanding multiverse and we believe ourselves to be at the center on this little blue lonely planet and then if you just zoom into our daily lives from that point we split reality into the 10,000 things and all of it is purely conceptual there's no basis in reality for this concept of duality of separateness 
And really, that's the question we come to in this podcast. Are we separate? Are we truly separate? Yeah. Are we separate? Are moments separate? Are days actually separate? Are months separate? Are years separate? These are imposed constructs. They do not hold experiential reality. There's nothing actually breaking up experience. That's just in concept only. Experience is just shape-shifting. Like our days of the week have like names in succession, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then as soon as we're on Sunday, we're like, oh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So, and the months as well, January, February. And so like it's creating this forward momentum in time and we just don't even realize it's like okay to to allude to time we're gonna call things by different years and we're gonna keep the 12 months the same no one sees through that no one sees like oh this is the how manyth january i've experienced this is how manyth february because we have the year so the year is like hinting at a movement forward and no one questions it but it's actually one con continual thing even even the experience of for example you could say like if you go from one day to another nighttime breaks the experience but if you stay awake you know if you stay awake an entire night there's no break in your experience how could you call that two different days you know why is it that you can experience one day sort of sped up when you're having fun it flashes by when you're despairing one day feels like forever when you sleep 8 hours goes by instantly when you're awake it feels like 8 hours so are these things these nows truly separate things or have we just decided to attribute certain names to parts of a seeming progression and then decide to be completely controlled by them so what happens when you begin to stop labeling your experience in terms of time what happens if you just try to actually sense into the reality of what you're going through do you actually experience seconds or those thoughts in your mind do you actually experience any separation from one day to the next does something announce okay reality is now rebooting or do you actually experience one consistent flow so this assumption of separation we've extended over various areas of human life all the way from believing that we are an individual thing with autonomy moving through the world to the paradigms which we live in which are all controlled by these ideas of separation so what we really want to do is test our experience i remember mentioning in this podcast before that one day i decided to look at a clock and i decided to try to see the numbers on the clock as 
as if it was in a language that I didn't speak. So if I were looking at Greek or Arabic, I tried to look at the numbers as if they were just purely pictures. And that day something shifted and I realized that, oh my God, I've been anticipating this little ticking movement to the next foreign picture on the clock. And from there, I started to say the days of the week out loud to myself until they meant nothing. So, you know, when you repeat a word and again, again and again and again, and it loses its meaning, that's what I did with the days of the week. So it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, until they just became sounds. And that created yet another shift. So it's these small things. You're just breaking up your conditioning. You're breaking up the charge that these ideas of separation have. I mean, what is one o'clock? It's a sound. What is Wednesday? If you tell someone who doesn't speak English Wednesday, they won't know what you're saying. There's no charge. There's no charge whatsoever. Same with one o'clock, two o'clock, 30 minutes, five hours, tomorrow, yesterday. The mind is framed by time. If we're thinking, we can never quite be now. And I don't mean observing thought. That's not what I mean. I mean, if we are the thinker, if we're absorbed in thinking, someone special to me posed an inquiry that I enjoyed. And he said, try to think about right now. And when I heard it, my initial response was, I can think about right now. Right now, I'm sitting in this room, I'm talking. But that's not right now. That was a second ago. You know, that's gone. That's gone already. So even the mind's so-called present thoughts are not. You cannot think about right now. And in the same way, because awakening takes place right now, you cannot think about awakening. Because awareness is out of time, you cannot think about awareness. If you're thinking about awareness, you're thinking of a concept. You're thinking of a concept of enlightenment that has taken place or will take place in a future that does not exist. So, when using the mind, it's important to remember that it cannot be used as a tool to bring you to this moment. The only way that the mind can be used is by saying, oh, this thing is always thinking either slightly ahead or slightly in the past. So what do I do? I observe those thoughts in the now. As soon as you're observing thought, you're by default present. If you're not diving into these thoughts of these illusory segments of time, you're present. So there's no past. There's actually no present. And there's no future because each of these exists relative to the other. But there is a now. There is a now. And you can't think about it. Thinking will not get you anywhere. Yeah. The invitation is to test your experience. To inquire what is actually true. 
What's my actual experience, not assumed experience, not conceptual experience, but direct experience? You're always having this direct encounter with life. And such is language. Saying a direct experience with life implies two things, me and life. So we have to look beyond these constructs. They're so subtle. We buy into these constructs so willingly and seamlessly. Now, you're actually having a direct encounter with yourself. How is that possible? How is it possible that consciousness has become conscious of itself or awareness has become aware of itself? Reality has become real and has realized itself as reality through realizing these subjects and objects? Well, there is no answer to this because an answer on the conceptual level would certainly not speak to the reality because it's impossible to describe exactly what's going on because it is beyond definition. This eternal moment is beyond definition and any definition applied changes nothing. Yet that creation seems to be happening. Life seems to be divided. Notice we always use the word seem or appears. It seems to be divided. It appears to be divided. You seem to be divided from others. And again, the invitation is to see if that is actually the case. Test your experience. We're not trying to get rid of duality. We're questioning duality. We're seeing if this idea of separateness holds any water in reality. In a way, you are always experiencing yourself through your manifestation. And because manifestation is nothing but you, you never move away from yourself. You can't not experience yourself. So this is why a previous episode was titled The Eternal One Within the Transient Second. It isn't enough just to say one without a second. That's true. It's also true that the one is within the second and therefore the second, while it seems to be actual, is made of a true reality that you are. So yeah, what do you actually experience? Yeah. So the first step is really to observe thought, to set yourself up as that witnessing presence. That's how you get out of these traps of time and traps of this like progression forward this pursuit of an enlightenment that's going to happen this idea that source is going to wake up to itself in some other time other than now and then people say yeah but i know it's not going to happen i know it can only happen now but there's the thing again you think you know you think you know don't know don't know. Anything knowing intellectually is not it. And you don't even need to bother with it. In this regard, contemplation, mental contemplation, is not even useful. When we say inquire, we don't mean contemplate. Even when we say contemplate, we don't mean mentally contemplate. 
What we actually mean is sense into, like you said, sense into the reality of your experience in relation to an inquiry. Mind can only be framed in these ideas. And whether it's attributed to language or not, we don't know. And like you said, we don't know why this has happened. We don't know why we have this veil that's placed over us as we grow up. But we can see it as these conditions that make life so unbearable because they're so untrue that something within us just detests the paradigm and we don't know why. So we can see these like constructs not as hindrances but as catalysts for, oh my God, I'm believing something that's not true. The reason why we feel stressed for work The reason why we can't wait for Friday, we dread Monday, is because Friday and Monday do not exist. If it feels bad, it's probably not true. If it really creates discomfort in you, you're probably believing something about reality that's just a belief. So, you know, tune into what's causing me anxiety is time Is separation in time causing me anxiety? What is really not sitting well with me? And inquire into that. Why do you believe that you're moving forward? Why do you believe that enlightenment will take place tomorrow or in a year from now after you read that book or after you get the one miracle pointer that's going to break you open? Because you believe that life is segmented and that can be broken with something as simple as looking at how you approach the hours of the day you know any simple practice how do you know it's three o'clock how do you know it's monday how do you know and yes people say these are tools we need them of of course we need them of course We're not saying deny time. We're not saying deny the constructs. We need them to function as humans in society. We just want you to question their validity. That's all. What they actually are tools. They're tools. They're not the nature of reality. In the same way that separation is a tool. So I I am called Colette. You are called Nick. That's a tool so that we can distinguish between these two mind-body complexes. But the reality of it is that there's no separation here. So that's exactly what the construct of time is. It's a tool that overlays non-separation. A separation tool over unity. But we just sort of only operate on on the layer on the top layer. But what about underneath that? It's the one, it's ourself. You have never not been yourself. No one has ever separated you into different experiences. No one has ever separated you into different times. You have stayed consistent across all of these constructs. You were you yesterday. You were you when you were three. You were you Five seconds ago, you'll be you tomorrow. This you-ness, this we-ness, this unity is not bound by time. It is not bound by separation. 
no matter what you call it. The you-ness, the we-ness never stops. It's never separated. It's never segmented. No matter what is segmented around us, whether certain experiences rise up and then they end, that's the nature of experience itself. The experiencer of those things is completely consistent. So, it's not to negate the idea of these tools. It's not to discard the fact that experience seems separate. It's to look one layer below that and look for the consistent element, the thing that does not change according to the day of the week, the thing that's always here no matter where you go in space. Then you begin to see that reality was never a puzzle of pieces that you could just, you know, shuffle around. It's one flat, consistent wholeness on which all of this transient stuff, time, progression, enlightenment, take place. Yeah. Nisargadatta in I Am That says, Plurality and diversity are the play of the mind only. Reality is one. The diversity is in you only. Diversity without separateness is the ultimate that the mind can touch. Beyond that, all activity ceases, because in it all goals are reached and all purposes fulfilled. Diversity without separateness is the ultimate. What he's saying is that there is no separation. There's no real, actual separation. However, there is an expression, reality's expression, of diversity. And we can call that diversity many things. We can call it me and you. We can call it past, present, future. We can call it this and that. This is diversity. And it's conceptual only. Concepts point. That's all they do. The number one on your clock points. The word apple points. Your name points. What does it point to? It points to life. Every apparent thing, and that is to say every concept that points, is a part of life. We may not even say part of reality, just part of life. So everything, every part of life points to life because that's the ultimate. Life is the ultimate and life is essential, fundamental. Everything points to life. So it's fine. It's, it's okay that life appears as diversity because life doesn't ever become deluded and buy in to this expression of itself, to this manifest appearance. And you are life. We're not talking about some other life, some other reality. We're talking about you, not you the individual. You the individual is an overlay, is a concept applied for the purpose of experience. So there can be a me and you, so there can be a you and the not you, you and the chair, for the purpose of experiencing life, experiencing yourself. 
So this is when the diversity, the rich diversity of life, of, of this unity as diversity becomes a celebration. You don't need to fight concepts. Use them as tools, as you said. Tools for exploration, experimentation, tools for just seeing how you can present yourself to yourself in every possible way. No way is wrong, is out of place, is inappropriate. Just don't buy in to any of that display. Where we are normally positioned is in-person position. That is to say, I am this separate self, this individual, and I have desires and fears, and those desires and fears dictate my sense of self, my purpose, and my own kind of suffering. And this is normal, apparently. This is the normal mode. Perhaps when we start learning about meditation, or mindfulness, or maybe even non-duality, we, we hear about becoming a witness of our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions and our experience. And we have then this discernment, this discrimination, this clarity. And through a process of elimination and exclusion, neti neti, I am not this, I am not this, we realize in witness position, no thing defines me. And I am that which experiences all apparent things. And what I am can't be a part of objective experience. Now, further, in no position, I am everything. I am the diversity of this manifestation. In no position, I am all things because all things are not things. All things are what I am and I am not a thing. I am the consistent element in experience. And I realize here that there's no possibility of true separateness. There's the celebration of diversity. And that's a wondrous, love-filled expression. Duality has collapsed, but diversity, the richness of this presentation of life, continues. I do not invest my identity in it, so I am free. I hear so often, you know, Colette, I want to feel one with everything else. How do I feel one with the tree? How do I feel one with my partner? And the trouble is that I and the thing you want to feel one with. That very position that you are taking already establishes you in duality. You are viewing through the lens of duality and trying to negate diversity. You're trying to be one thing with another manifestation of diversity. How is that possible? How is that possible? The fact is that you are one with the tree, right? You can't become it. 
So this is that layer again. On top, you know, superficially, you appear different. You appear different to the tree, your partner, your child. You cannot become one with them. You cannot negate diversity. So we can't deny it. We can't deny this multiplicity that the one has chosen to manifest as. And that seems to be what we want to do. We, as a separate individual, seek to merge with the whole. As if we actually exist as a separate thing and the whole exists as a separate thing. You could say you're actually viewing through diversity. You're thinking that diversity is the absolute. When, when a request like that is posed, you're taking diversity to be the final nature of your existence. So you think it starts and stops at, I am a human being, and that's a tree. And that's where the issue is. If you stay on the level of multiplicity, you're already off on the wrong foot when wanting to merge with the rest of experience. Because you're taking yourself to be that very diversity, when the diversity, you could say, is just decorative. It's just like lights on the Christmas tree. Underneath that is a united thing that is already one with everything. So you can't even bother with trying to become one. Don't even bother. You're not one. You and that separate thing can never be one in the way that you seek because of multiplicity. If you got what you wanted, nothing would exist. There'd be none of these colorful forms and shapes, textures, experiences, love and hate. Sadness and happiness and bliss and anxiety. All of that is diversity. It's all multiplicity and it, it can never unite because its very nature is diverse. However, that which experiences these things, that which experiences the body when it wakes up in the morning, that which precedes diversity is not diverse. And when this is pointed to, people say, yeah, okay, but what do I do with that? That's just another fact that I know. I often hear, you know, we, you keep telling us the same thing. You keep saying that, you know, from your point of view as a quote-unquote awakened person, you say, oh, you're not uh, diverse, you're united. What do I do with that? And what you do with that is you tune into that thing that never goes away. You tune into the unity and you stay there. And it sounds, it sounds paradoxical. It, you don't need to stay what, as what you already are. But for some reason, that's how it appears. I know I was trying for hours and hours a day to like tune into the feeling of existence. I would repeat like, I exist. And then just stay there for as long as I could. Because that very existence is shared. So when you're staying there in that feeling, I exist, 
what you're actually doing is taking your common ground with everything else. You're discarding the layer of diversity and tuning into the consistency in all. The limitation you impose is waiting to be set free. So that's what you do with that. You don't leave it as a concept in your mind to use later. Okay, I know I'm one with everything, moving on. No, no, no. Take your existence. Take experiencing. Take anything that appears consistent to you, awareness. And just remain still. Just stay there. Stay there. If you don't stay there, you get right back trapped into mind again. And you're just looking for the next miracle pointer. So as a sort of strict instruction for anyone listening that really wants something to do, even though you actually can't do anything, but, you know, if we want to pretend do right now, just stay in this feeling I exist or in the feeling I am aware, okay? If you're, if you're tired of hearing us just talk about how great things are, which I hear all the time, and it's so funny because <laughs> we're trying to say, we're giving an, an instruction, actually. But the way that it's heard by many is like, we're talking about how awesome life is. And although it's a little bit of that, majority of this podcast is like, hey, do this. But it's not heard for some reason. It's like heard and logged as like a mental thing. Like, oh, these guys are just talking about the nature of reality. No, 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 we're saying connect to that. Connect to that and stay there. Because that's like the train that's going to take you to your destination. And of course, there are other aspects of awakening. And they are, you know, discarding thought. Don't think, oh, I've stayed there for three hours already. I'm still not enlightened. This is where other techniques come in. Ignore the mind. Ignore the mind. Just stay there and have faith and trust it. Trust it. And don't fall into the trap of, oh, there's no doer, so I don't need to stay anywhere. As soon as that is really clear to you, there will be nothing left to do for real. So as a direct instruction, stay with whatever is consistent in your experience. Whatever appears segmented, target that directly with an inquiry and look underneath it. What underneath this separation appears constant and stay there. And if your mind trails off, you just bring it back. You know, you're not trying to get enlightened. That's not how you get enlightened. Nothing's going to poof, awakening. You know, that's not how it works. The human experience is messy. Before awakening, I thought awakening was going to solve all of my problems. I thought that I would be blissing out all the time because that's how gurus appear, right? You're still going to go through the human experience, the human mess. But something is known that is just invaluable. The human experience is exactly the same. It's just that there's something that is now clear. Enlightenment then seeps into the human slowly. But that's also not enlightenment. That's, you could say, uh, integration. So 
any uh, idea of like this blissful human experience has nothing to do with enlightenment. I got enlightened, quote unquote, amidst total chaos. I was still getting triggered. I was still um, getting so anxious to speak to other people. I still had symptoms of depression. All of those things actually had nothing to do with it. And that's why this is being shared. You can't wait for a miracle to be what you are. You can't wait. Yeah, it's futility and it's frustrating. And at best, that frustration will exhaust you and take you to your knees, put you into a few nights or weeks or months of the dark night and alchemize your experience and discard what isn't essential, take you to what is fundamental out of utter exhaustion, frustration. I can't work this thing out. I'm pissed off with every teacher, everything I've read. It's all bullshit. Great. Now you're onto something. <laughs> yes. Because it can only point, that teaching can only point to what is essential. You have to meet what is essential to have a direct encounter with reality and to find out that what you're encountering directly is you and you can't avoid yourself. Because like you said, we start off often with, I'm a person, I'm aware, and I need to find some enhanced awareness. I need to become enlightened. I need to awaken. What's overlooked is that one, you're not a person. And two, enlightenment is the very fabric of your experience. This is the moment of awakening. It takes place now. We need not even call it awakening. Look, feel, sense, taste, experience. Isn't this awake? <laughs> Enlightened, illuminated, clear, vivid, sentient, pure subjectivity without a subject and object. This is awake. This existence here and now, you don't find existence. You don't, you don't suddenly exist. You are existence. You are that wakefulness. You're switched on. This is switched on. This is already switched on. This, this, whatever this is, this is switched on. It doesn't get turned on later on uh, through some magic sorcery or through reading the right books, through um, finally working it out on the level of mind. Yes, there are pointers that can bring about this realization of what is already real. But it's not that it becomes real. What you are doesn't become real. Awakening doesn't become real. It is realized. It's recognized. You know, this is why it's called self-realization. You realize the self you already are. You just realize it. You realize it. You realize that fact, that fundamental fact, that which is most consistent, always there always present amidst every experience, no matter what that experience looks like. We're not saying that the appearance of life is always sublime and awesome. 
we're saying it's recognized that no matter the appearance of life, no matter the, the quality of diversity, it's known what the very essence of that is. And because it's known, the deeper qualities are accessible as opposed to living on the level of distortion. So distortion still happens because that's the nature of duality, you know, but it doesn't convince. It's not believable. It may look the same on the surface, but the truth of that appearance is recognised and that does change everything because there's not this identity invested in the superficial appearance. And that's not a bypass. It's the opposite. Because one has discerned the actual essence of it, it's known to, to not be the concept. So we're not bypassing anything and just living on cloud nine. We're going into the heart of everything and living truly, living where we always lived, living life itself, which is to say, you, you know, you can't avoid living life. You're always living life. You just don't know it. You know, on one level, the appearance of life conceals the truth of life. But at the same time, once it's known what the essence of all is, then diversity reveals, expresses that one life that all is. And so, as you've been saying, stay with what is consistent, tune into the reality of what appears. Whatever that energy is, is just potential, it's only potential energy, potential life, and as such can be anything, you know, you can mould it into something else. And this is really what we're pointing to, so even though these patterns may continue to move through experience, we know their nature, and because we know their nature, they don't have to necessarily even change, and that's a complete paradox. One of uh, my favourite quotes, again, Nisargadatta in I Am That, he says, occasionally an old reaction, emotional or mental, happens in the mind, but it is at once noticed and discarded. After all, as long as one is burdened with a person, one is exposed to its idiosyncrasies and habits. He also speaks about anger, like anger may visit and then is released. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe anger was part of the, the patterning of that particular apparent individual. But because he knew what anger really was and who he really was, that anger sort of transmuted into this fierce love, transmuted into something that can be of service. So, yeah, it's really about discerning the nature of things, not changing things. And nothing is a sign that you're not there because there's nowhere to get. And we're not talking about state of perfection. We're seeing the perfection in every state. The other night, I was absolutely furious. I was hurt and furious about something. And I was sitting on my bedroom floor and I was thinking, ah, as an enlightened experiencer, I should probably feel these feelings fully. So I sat down and I 
sort of tuned into this furiousness and I was livid. I could have ripped the curtains off the windows. And I just sat with this feeling in my chest and like there's no shame, back to basics, you know, when things get so strong. I sat with this feeling in my chest and I was like, God, you are unbearable. <laughs> you are unbearable. I know you, I, I know what you are, but you are unbearable. And um, I was sitting there for a couple of minutes and and then something happened in which this rage, this hurt rage cracked. I just sat with it for about three or four minutes and it's as if the sensation literally, almost literally cracked. I almost felt the feeling in my chest begin to separate in two. And as that happened, something started to creep out of the cracks, so to speak, in the sensation. And at, at first I was like, what is that? You know, is this now another layer of hurt that's coming up? Is this another layer of some strange uh, traumatic memory or something? And I just sat and I was like, what is happening? And as I waited, these cracks got bigger and bigger. And this overwhelming feeling of love exploded out from under the hurt and the rage. And I've never experienced anything like that before. And I've heard, you know, underneath these things there's there's something more and with awakening I was like okay yeah there's something more that there is is um awareness you know I thought underneath um a difficult sensation is is this unbiased point of view which I had in large part um achieved so to speak but this time was different and it was new it was definitely as a result of sitting with emotions again and again and again, feeling things completely fully and not trying to change anything, letting things that have been buried since I was a child come up and just sitting with them no matter how strong they are, not denying any part of experience. Something, some, something had blocked off a love, a, a passionate love for everything it was just keeping it suppressed. And it was almost like the hurt and the anger were, were trying to boil experience up or like they were trying to bring experience to such a point that it would explode and let the love out. But my initial reaction was, I don't want to feel this. You know, I don't, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be angry. I want this to go away. So it's just like a, even a lesson for me that you never know what's going to happen if you sit with the things you're feeling. You never know. I expected, right, to like, okay, from this neutral point of view that I'm establishing in this emotion, I'll be able to sit with it. And through that, it'll be transmuted passively. But in an instant, it was transmuted into explosive love and affection. And it wasn't targeted toward anything. And the, the hurt and the anger just dissolved they just disappeared into thin air and this is one of those experiences that sounds so mystical and it's one of the the like decorative parts of enlightenment but this will never happen if you're trying to get rid of something it'll never happen you'll never pave the way for something like this to open up if you're resisting it 
So I've been asked before, you know, how do I accept this hurt? How do I accept this rage? And the thing is that you don't, right? The, the initial human response is always, I don't want to feel this. The thing is that the package, all of those are accepted at once. So just accept the fact that you hate it here. You know, accept the fact that you want to get rid of it. Don't even try to change that. That's part of suffering. That's part of the, the emotion you're going through. The resistance itself doesn't even need to be tampered with. It's part of the package you're sitting with. So sit with that package because you never know. You never know. The hurt and, and the anger just poof, gone. And I couldn't even remember, I couldn't even recall what hurt the system, why it felt the need to defend itself. It was all gone. It was all gone. And that, that's what I got reminded of when you mentioned the quote by Nisargadatta because, and you explained that, you know, he, he followed with this love. He transmuted these emotions, we assume, into this love for service. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, all I want to do is now give forward. You go from this contraction that just wants to like take everything in and hide to this outpouring in an instant. And that's the miracle of just facing your feelings. It's crazy that society has built this thing around facing feelings. For some reason, we're not allowed to have them in a way. If we have a very strong emotion, we're like two lines of writing away from a diagnosis. And diagnoses have stigma attached to them. And through all of these paradigms, we're taught that we can't face, we can't show, we can't express certain emotions. And if we do, it's because it's been built up for so long and it explodes. Then we're like, you know, that just reinforces it. Oh my God, when, I'm, when I express myself, I'm explosive or I'm destructive. That's only because you haven't expressed anything for the last two months. You know, emotions are constant in the human experience. They, they're drip-fed almost. You experience a little bit of hurt, a little bit of rejection, a little bit of bliss, a little bit of doubt. Don't deny any of it. Don't deny these small um, blips in experience or these small lifts. Embrace them all completely. Then you won't have that build up. And if you do, you never know if you sit with it what will happen. So it's really just like you said about tuning into the sensation itself. That what happened on the floor of my room was not as a result of sticking to the narrative, oh, Colette is hurt or Colette is angry. I felt the very raw contraction in the chest and the hurt had already lost its meaning. The rage had lost its meaning. It just was as if someone was stepping on my body. And that's the level of raw physicality that you want to feel with these emotions. Because it's only if you zoom into that degree that the narrative that's overlaid on top begins to dissolve and that's how these things get released and transmuted if you're keeping a narrative as a cap or as a lid on top of your emotion the emotion can't escape so you have to really delve below discard the narrative discard the story you're telling yourself about why you're feeling the way you're feeling or what it's called 
like stress or whatever. You have to put that aside. Go deeper. Feel the rawness, the intensity, the vibration. And just see what happens. See what happens. It sounds like a basic practice, but it's not. It's not. It's actually very advanced. It's not basic, but it is accessible. It's possible. One of the main shifts for me was the realization that no experience is unbearable. Because the mind will tell you, this is unbearable, I, I can't take this, I can't handle this. This is going to destroy me. And yet, you are experiencing it. You are aware of this intense emotion. If there is some intense energy moving in you, notice how your awareness of the intense emotion isn't characterized in the same way. It's free of that definition. It's free of every definition. And you are experiencing it. You are aware of this intense emotion, that which seems unbearable. So already right there, despite what the mind says, awareness is holding it. And you are that which is holding it all. There's nothing you can't bear. So don't just recognize this capacity of awareness. Recognize that you are it. Because you're the fundamental ground for all experience, including the experience of being a person. A person who can or cannot bear what's present. To realise, oh, well I am holding it. Whatever I am, I am holding it. What you are is untouchable. You know, you find the heaviest object, the heaviest material. Put it in awareness and notice awareness can hold it. <laughs> put the, the heaviest state, the darkest, densest state in awareness. And notice that you're holding it. When you are present, when you are aware, when you are conscious, you are the presence, you are the awareness, you are the consciousness. And really, you're never not present, you're never not aware, you're never not conscious. Yeah, when we encounter these really strong emotions, for some reason, we believe that we are the ones that should be able to bear something. You know, we think, oh my God, this is, it's almost unbearable that one can't bear it. And um, I've heard before, like I said earlier, like how do I accept all these strong emotions? This is the same. How do I bear all these strong emotions? You, the individual, don't. You, the individual, experience this feeling of unbearableness. I can't bear this. I can't bear this. But even in those words, something bears all of that. Something bears that entire package. And the package includes the thing that upset you, your experience of being upset, your intolerance of being upset, your intolerance of being upset at your intolerance. All of that is included. Every movement of the individual is encapsulated in what is already held. 
So there's nothing for the individual to do except to see that. And I loved what you said. In realizing that, you become that. I haven't heard that phrase so well. So in realizing that everything as a package is already being bared, you become that which bears it, despite what the experience is manifesting as, despite your feelings of, I can't do this. It's okay. It's okay. You, you, if you can't do it, that's all right. It's being done. It's being done. And that is so powerful. That's, that's so powerful. It's, that can even be extended to the entire path. If you realize you're aware, you become it. That is it's truly transformative line. Um, if, you, if you realize you exist, you become existence. And what a powerful pointer. What a powerful pointer. That, that literally encapsulates the movement. Because it, often the problem is like, okay, I'm aware, what now? You know, that's the question that arises. Or, okay, I realize this thing is bearing my experience, what now? What now is that? Stay with the realization. As soon as you realize, you are it. And that's beautiful. It's very true. Very true. So all it takes is a realization. It doesn't take a becoming. In the realization, you are. Not in the realization, you become. In the realization, you are. When you look up at the sky, and you see the clouds are moving, are they becoming or are they just moving? So are you moving through life and becoming or are you just moving like the clouds? When the trees blow in the wind, are they becoming or are they just moving? Are they progressing or are they just moving? Bacteria under a microscope, becoming or moving? Experience changing. Is experience becoming or is it simply moving? You are not becoming anything. Your physicality is just moving. Like the sky, the tree, the bird, the wind. But we place onto that movement a paradigm called time. And we call it a becoming. You are not going anywhere. You're not progressing. And this is not meant in a nihilistic, neo-advaitan way. It's not like that. In a dance, is anything becoming anything? No, it's just a dance. That's exactly the same. So even though you go to sleep tonight, thinking that tonight will become tomorrow, it's just that the sun moved to a different part of the sky. It's a movement. It's a movement. Enlightenment is a movement. 
It just appears to be a becoming, but it's not. It's a shape-shifting. It's a, it's a realization that occurs completely out of any paradigm, out of any time. It is. It is. Enlightenment is. And as long as we are caught in the paradigm of getting somewhere, as long as we don't see that this is going to be moving forever, you're never going to stop progressing because progression is the nature of experience in terms of the way it appears. You know, if you feel like you're progressing, that's never going to stop. That's just how it is. So see below the progression, see below that illusion, see the pure movement. The clock is not progressing in time. The clock is not showing one o'clock becoming two o'clock. It's a movement of the clock hands. It's a visual movement and so is the physicality, so is the body-mind complex. The body-mind complex cannot become enlightened because it's part of the movement. It's part of the dynamic. And don't segment your dynamic process. Don't segment your dynamic experience. Call it Monday. Call it Friday. But know that if no one told you that, you'd know no difference between the two. So how can you say that they even exist? Use them as tools, but don't be defined by them. Know that Monday is a sound. Know that three o'clock is the same as saying toasted sandwich. It's just a noise. It's a noise placed onto a dynamic process. And in that sense, you're becoming forever, which is also beautiful. That's why it's not nihilistic. Let it be a, oh my God, I'm becoming forever. That means that I can never find myself in what's becoming. I can never find myself in the body that's aging a year, each year apparently. I can never find myself in the new house I'm going to buy, the new job I'm moving into. All of these movements, these apparent becomings, don't hold what you're looking for. And that's the beauty of it. Because you can just take the whole chunk of it and say, that's not where I am. I can't find myself there. And then eventually you move outward again and think, oh wow, okay, I could find myself there. I was actually findable everywhere. But that's the beauty of that pointer. Absolutely. That is the beauty of diversity. One beautiful expression of you. And that expression is the process of self-knowledge to recognize the nature of this manifest appearance you know self-knowledge is not self-concept the individual is a bunch of self-concepts self-knowledge is beyond the conceptual beyond intellectual knowledge it's this clear discernment of every experience and this recognition that you're always in this shape-shifting movement 
of realization. So in a way, you don't suddenly become realized. This is the process of realization. It's happening now. It's not a matter of reaching a finish line, like you get some kind of certificate from your guru. I'm sure there are courses that offer that sort of training, but <laughs> um, no, this is this is life living itself, reality realizing itself. It happens to use concepts in that process, time, language, but don't stay on the surface. I mean, you can, you can stay on the superficial surface, but then you'll be swayed by desire and fear. Look deeper, delve deeply into your experience and you'll only find you, the one experiencer, which is, you could say, this experiencing sentience, this pure subjectivity. <laughs> <laughs>